Hello, and welcome to Around the Table, a podcast about food stories from science to everyday life. This episode about lockdown food. We are sitting around a virtual table with researchers in the UK, Switzerland, and Denmark. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to Around the Table. Um, we'll just start by having everyone introduce themselves and say a little bit about who they are, um, where they are, and what their work and research is. Uh, Tanya, do you want to begin? Yeah. Hi, uh, I'm Tanja Schneider, and I live in a town with a bit more than 10,000 people in the east of Switzerland, which is close to Lake Constance and the German and Austrian border. I work at the University of St. Gallen, which is a 20-minute commute from where I live. And um, I'm a sociologist. I mainly focus on science and technology studies. And much of my research explores food, technology, health, and sustainability. Thank you. Anna-Katrina? Hi, um, I'm Anna-Katrine Kleber-Hansen, and I live in Copenhagen in Denmark, um, the capital of Denmark. Um, I'm a historian of medicine, uh, and I mostly work on how fatness has, made an ob- has been made an object of knowledge in medicine. And lastly, Stanley. Oh, hi, I'm Stanley Uliasek, and I live in Oxford in the UK, University of Oxford. I'm a nutritional anthropologist, and I worked on evolution of human diet, social aspects of obesity. Um, you know, my interests are broad. They started with undernutrition. They've moved to overnutrition. I'm passionate about food, both uh, intellectually and uh, in practice. Um, so thank you all for joining us. Um, as you know, this this um, first season of our podcast is about the current COVID-19 lockdown. So my first question for you is, how has the lockdown changed how you or your household eat? Uh, and I think we'll start with Anna-Katrina. Um, well, I live, I live on my own in a city relatively well-sourced with food shopping opportunities. Um, and we didn't experience any major supply breakdowns or anything like that. Um, however, I have found that going to small food outlets have become part of my everyday scheduled midday walks. And thus, I've ended up buying more local produce than usual. I have a supermarket quite nearby with a pretty good vegetarian and organic assortment. And I usually buy most of my food there. But since I've needed a purpose or destination for midday or lunchtime walks, I've ended up seeking out smaller independent shops, which are often closed when I used uh, to to cycle home before Corona times. Um, so as a consequence, I I now drink more expensive and lovely natural wines, and I have much more knowledge about esoteric grape sorts and have new over-the-counter friends in that wine shop. And I have been eating more cabbage sprouts and other farm veg, not otherwise widely available at Danish supermarkets, um, which 
despite a very broad organic selection, offer doesn't offer, offer a huge variety. So in that way, shopping has changed. It's become um, it's become my entertainment. Cooking probably very little. I've always enjoyed cooking, and while there's been a call to order takeout in order to support struggling restaurants, I really haven't done that. Like I miss eating out, but I have so much time to cook. So, um, so it felt impossible to single-handedly rescue the whole Copenhagen food scene. So I chose to um, prioritize one local wine bar, which has turned into a shop during Corona times. And that's where I place most of my Corona food themed solidarity and a takeaway coffee whenever possible to keep my neighborhood cafe in business. Um, but it's ended up being like shopping has ended up being whatever a kind of entertainment. I think this is um, this idea of shopping becoming a purpose is very relatable uh, mm -hmm. to me also. So I think this is this is interesting change. Should we go to Stanley? Yeah, well, my household's changed to some extent. My, uh, my, my youngest son was in Tanzania and, and was recalled back very, very quickly. So he wasn't very happy. Uh, to be to be back in the UK, but it's absolutely the right place. Um, I live in a village outside of Oxford, about ten kilometres away, and um, we now eat more socially as a family than ever before. We started off in early lockdown, if we can call it that, with uh, eating together every single meal time, and we decided at the beginning of the day who was cooking and who was not cooking uh, on a particular day, and. Uh, it's now become uh, eating together in the evening. So during the day, we're more occupied with, with different activities and, uh, and uh, we, we tend to do our lunch on our, by ourselves. And, um, you know, we live in a very foodie village. And so we, again, like Anna Katrina, we've got a local food store um, that is supplying us with, with pretty well most of our veggies. Uh, we have um, a Corona food doom box upstairs. So... Uh, uh, in fact, um, at the beginning of the outbreak, we were susceptible to, as everybody else, to uh, panic buying food in anticipation of the apocalypse. And our sort of our, our apocalypse doom box now runs to um, three largish boxes that have got all kinds of things that would allow us to, to survive in a bunker uh, should we need to. Um, so we eat together in the evening. We're eating better than ever before, I've got to say. Um, lunch gets strange sometimes. I um, don't usually have access to a decent kitchen when I'm at work in, in my office. And so I do have a kitchen here, but oftentimes I'm still eating on the run in one way or another. And I, I can prepare, you know, strange concoctions that go into a wrap. And then I sometimes ponder upon what it is I'm putting into the, into that wrap. And, um, and, and, and it can be things like, here's a tortilla wrap, which is Mexican. Um, here's, uh, here's some uh, bean sprouts, which are Asian. Uh, here's some uh, sauerkraut, which is European. And here, let's say, on top of that, uh, some Japanese mayonnaise. It all tastes great, but somehow it seems incredibly hybrid. And yet it makes me think about how people are increasingly eating in very hybrid ways. So um, 
Yeah, things are, th- th- things things have changed. We may be eating a little bit too much, um, but um, we're eating, you know, in a very convivial way, and uh, it's uh, it's a very nice thing to do. I have to say, Tanya, I think it's time for you to say something. <laughs> I normally spend my work day in my office at the university. And eat lunch with my colleagues. Um, We either eat out, so we go to the Mensa or some small restaurants nearby, or eat in our shared kitchen area where we can bring our own food from home or buy something and bring it uh, to this kitchen. So sometimes I even eat on my own uh, in my work setup uh, because, you know, I'm in between meetings or before I teach. Also, if my schedule clashes with that of my colleagues or nobody else is around or has time. So the biggest change for me uh, is eating at home at lunchtime. So in fact, now every uh, time, breakfast, lunchtime, dinner, and in between. So I think like Stanley, I spend more time with my family and I like spending more time with them, especially at lunchtime. But I have to say that I do miss my colleagues and my friends and sort of the mixture of planned and spontaneous lunch options. So in other things changing, it's that the shops beyond the local local supermarket branch we usually go to, such as the organic food store or the farm shop, they are much more frequented by people, especially in the time during the lockdown, which has just been eased here in Switzerland uh, much more since this Monday. And also some of the products uh, I like buying, for instance, uh, red lentils for cooking. They have been out of stock in the supermarket and in the organic food store for several weeks, but luckily back on the shelf since yesterday. Um, And I guess there was also initially a bit of a shortage of other things such as yeast and flour, but everything's back on the shelf. Thank you. I think this is really fascinating just how much the local and the local shop is is coming out with the three of you. And um, I have to say my local shop has also been a lifesaver in these times. And I think I probably shop there more than usual. Uh, It's definitely, it's interesting how being stuck in our houses brings us even closer to that community. So the, the next question I have is, have you learned anything new about yourselves in relation to food and how you eat or in relation to lockdown more generally? Stanley, do you want to start this time? Yeah, I guess the first thing is that, you know, spending the day at home, I'm as susceptible to everybody else's to snacking. And well, as I've got good snacking strategies at work, which, uh, which work pretty well, uh, I, I, I've fallen back on old habits from time to time, which is, buying a big bar of chocolate and eating it in one go. And I know I shouldn't, and I know why I shouldn't, and I know what it does to me, but I still do it, and I know why I did it. So multiple loopings of, 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 of logic. But I don't feel guilty because I know this will all end, end and, and we'll be back to, to, to other patterns of eating. So structuring my eating. So it's been a big disruption. So I think what I've learned is that um, the habits that I form rely on a, a certain amount of uh, continuity of, uh, of, of practice and that when things are disrupted, I fall into, into bad habits very, very easily. And I'm aware of that. It's the same kind of thing as, you know, when you've been on a long plane ride, you know, you can't do that now, but 
when you've been on a long plane ride, I'm very susceptible to eating all the high energy dense, high sugar, high fat, high salt foods that taste really great, but are really bad for you. Um, because I'm, you know, I'm tired and my schedule's been disrupted. And I think this is this kind of schedule disruption is something that I'm very aware of intellectually, shall we say, but it's something that um, I've been thinking about a little bit more uh, in relation to my own my own practices and my habits. So um, that's me. Um, I think Tanya has uh, has has probably um, more interesting things to say about, about what's happening. <laughs> no, that's not true. I can totally relate to what Stanley just said, and I think many people probably have the same situation um especially around chocolate i would think definitely me so um for me i think i approach this a little bit this question as a sort of a food researcher and i thought of myself as well informed about food production and consumption uh, especially as a researcher in this area but i realized that i knew relatively little about for instance, publicly mandated systems of compulsory food stocks in Switzerland, but also in other countries, which I guess are crucial in a time of pandemics and restriction, which could have an impact on the food supply chain. And this is, of course, something that um, people probably worried about when they were sort of buying lots of things in the supermarket and other places, especially food items. So what I sort of found out during this pandemic is that Switzerland, um, so the Confederation, determines which goods and how much of them need to be stocked. So in terms of food items, that's grains, sugar, rice, cooking oil, and coffee. And um, the federal government and the private sector worked together to sort of maintain this reserve. And I actually looked this up on their website, on the website of the Federal Office for National Economic Supply, where they say... On 1st January 2019, around 300 private companies held compulsory stocks, and this includes other things than food, so petroleum and therapeutic products. And it also says the cost of maintaining compulsory stocks are included by companies in the sales of prices and are thus borne by the consumer all year round, every time. So um, I guess also important to know is that, to my knowledge, it hasn't been necessary until now to open that food reserve. Um, but it's really interesting to know that it exists and how um, this is being managed and um, actually also paid for. Anna Katrina, do you want to add? Um, yeah, actually, I came to think about something that happened very early on, like like at the very, very beginning when uh, our prime minister went on TV and, and told us that Denmark was now in lockdown. Um, she consistently said there was no need to hoard. We have enough food. If you don't hoard, there will be enough for everyone. Now, obviously, some still did go out and hoard and to buy stuff, but there was such a social, basically almost shaming of that um, behavior. So it... it, it uh it stopped really quickly as well because like on the radio people on social media everyone would be talking about how awful it was to buy two packages of toilet paper instead of just one and so on 
So you almost felt ashamed that day to go shopping because you felt you had to be like, oh, I'm not hoarding. I just don't have any tinned tomatoes at home. Um, so that was a very effective kind of uh, social um, collective shaming, like don't hoard. If you don't do that, that's good enough for everyone. Um, but that was just like connecting to some of the things you just said. Um, yeah. Yeah, when it comes to me, I didn't start to bake, even though I, a lot of people did, and I already made my own cloud. So to be honest, I kind of learned more about my way of being physical active and how much I ended up missing transport. Like many people in Copenhagen, I cycle everywhere. Um, and I've been working from home, but we were never confined to our home. So I have, I've had all the possibilities to go outdoors. But because I didn't have any place to go, like no one's homes to visit, no workplace, no library, no archive, no yoga centers, no restaurants and so on, theaters, cafes, everybody, everything has been closed. I, I ended up being much more physically inactive. Um, I can do a yoga class online, and I'm used to work pretty independently, but I really miss those many cycling trips to get me around town. And I think it's just as much a physical thing as a mental thing. Without being out and about most days on my bike, my world has become such a small place. And sometimes I feel it, it also feels like Usually a bike ride would kind of um, be the sign that I was going home and a workday had ended. And now I feel like wine has become a way to mark that change between work and home while being at home. Um, and I guess that could be potentially problematic if this continues for very long. Yeah, Anna-Katrina, I can so relate to so much of what you're saying. I think we have developed similar habits in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, wine is good. <laughs> yeah. Yes, those demarcations for the end of the day. And then also yeah. the physical activity. I think a lot of people are, I'm sure, finding hard. I know, Stanley, you you also cycle daily. Yeah, I'm cycling. I'm, I'm cycling most days. And uh, there's something that, um, was interested me um, from the Copenhagen University uh, Saxo Institute and uh, talking to, uh, to to one of the colleagues there. Um, actually, it was Astrid Jespersen. She was saying, well, on days when she works at home, she still commutes to work. And that is she takes the same length of cycle ride to start from home, go back home. And at the end of the day, she would do the same thing, cycle to back home from work. So in a sense, that marked the beginning of the day for her mentally and the end of the day. So I kind of used that idea. Um, I don't do it every day. I do it three times a week. Um, and that is to cycle into Oxford. Um, I cycle past my workplace and then look at it kind of nostalgically and longingly and then and then keep cycling. Um, or, uh, or or, or I, I, I might check out uh, a particular shop. I mean, there's a store that... Uh, um, UBVO users um, to uh, to do our sort of bread and cheese lunches after the UBVO seminars. It's uh, 
uh, to North Parade. Um, I call it Pete's because it's run by a guy called Pete and uh, fantastic produce there. And uh, I, I cycle back past there to see how Pete's getting on. And if he's open, I will, of course, buy, uh, buy from him. Um, I was in the early days of lockdown. He was asking various people, including myself, how should he manage his store? And so his, his, his first instinct was to say, well, what are the Italians doing? And, uh, and, and model what he did on those. And suddenly it became a very old-fashioned store. He's still going. So it's a bit of a digression, but it is about food. So I, I, I cycle and uh, I, I take a look at, uh, you know, what's happening. But I, somehow when I cycle into Oxford, I feel like I'm just a tourist in Oxford. The place is oddly devoid of tourists, and that's hugely, hugely unusual. Um, and all the sort of vibrant food scene that you have in Oxford is uh, has gone to takeout and you know and everything that we've we've already talked about. So uh, yeah, <clears throat> marking the day, having the routines, having the schedules. So I guess we'll have we'll go with our final question, um, which is: when this is over. <laughs> Do you think it'll change how you live and eat? Uh, we'll start with Tanya this time. Well, I'd say eating out will feel like a very special treat. And I guess from now on, my pantry will be very well stocked with dried lentils and dried yeast, uh, two items I missed for cooking and baking. <laughs> I'll also do the same with flour. <laughs> and a Katrina? Well, I can only echo Tanya. Uh, eating out will be such a treat. Um, and while I hopefully will keep the habit of shopping at those small shops, I really look forward to food not being my almost sole source uh, of entertainment and distraction. Makes sense. <laughs> and Stanley? <laughs> yeah, for me, I, I feel shamed, actually, to hear of... Uh, of uh, how Denmark dealt with the the issue of food hoarding in a kind of social collective shaming way in the UK. Now I'm shaming you guys. <laughs> yeah, in the in the UK it was it was crazy. It really was crazy. It was like people were shopping for Christmas and feeling that these you know these days are so special that and nothing is open and therefore you need to buy up everything you need. Except it wasn't Christmas food shopping. Um, it was uh, it was pasta and tomato sauce and tin tomatoes and, and and you know the uh, all the all the basics. So what what will change how I live and eat? I'm going to have to give you a pretty pretty mundane answer. First of all, it'll be eating up the doom box uh, because I think <laughs> that you know feeling guilty about having three big boxes of food waiting for the apocalypse when the apocalypse does, doesn't come. We'll just have to eat up all of this, this, uh, this pasta and tin tomatoes and everything else that's here. But uh, once that's done, you know, I would hope to resume some kind of normality, which is to be open to all kinds of new possibilities with food. And I think uh, um, COVID nineteen uh, uh, pandemic is giving me, and I hope most people, the opportunity to reflect on food in a very serious way. You know, it's funny for me to hear these different takes on on uh, 
your the stock in different countries just because being from New England, I'm so used to blizzards, ice storms, and occasional hurricanes that I, it felt a little bit like a prolonged prep for a blizzard. <laughs> I think everyone is used to doing this. Um, and it was a little bit just just drawn out. I did think the stock would come back quicker than it did. And finally, the flower is back on the shelves. <laughs> Um, okay, well, thank you all for taking part in this. This was really interesting. Is there anything, any last words that anyone has? No? No, thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Tess. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you. Around the Table is a personal production of Dr. Tess Bird and Professor Stanley Uliajak, who are anthropologists of food and nutrition and of household uncertainty and insecurity. The opinions and ideas expressed are solely those of the contributors and podcasters and do not reflect the opinions of any university body. We currently do not receive funding nor make money from this podcast. The music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you for tuning in.